I find a lot of hilarity in miscommunication and the potential for miscommunication within complex systems of human interaction. Um, and would, was always ready to do my part <laughs> to further such miscommunications. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. The Sad Stories Told for Last series continues with Doug McKelvey. You may know Doug McKelvey is the author of Every Moment Holy, the much-loved collection of prayers and liturgies. He's also a prolific songwriter and screenwriter, and just a hilarious storyteller and a creator of situations that lead to great stories, as you will soon find out. Doug McKelvey, thank you for being my guest today on the Habit Podcast special Sad Stories Told for Laughs episode. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm always delighted to have a conversation with you, even if it's being recorded. <laughs> um, you know, a, a lot of times these sad stories told for laughs, especially when we're talking to writers, they, they happen um, when the writer, the private person, is, finds himself or herself in a situation where he's having to be a public person, right? Mm-hmm. Book signing, uh, you know, reading, whatever. Yeah. Um, you got any times when you ventured out into public and were faced with your own chagrin? <laughs> I think anytime I venture out into public, I, I feel like I'm at risk of that. Um, just because I, I tend to be very, very socially awkward and, and not pick up on social cues very well. So um, anytime I'm in a public space, I think, I don't know if I want to do this again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's easier. I mean, I don't, I, I actually don't mind too much being behind a podium and, you know, reading a talk that I've written. Um, you know, I, I don't mind that part of it, but then just standing there and talking to person after person that I, that I, don't know is is you know I mean there's an aspect of it that I do enjoy but there's also an aspect where I just feel like the whole times it's like okay what am I supposed to do with my hands kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just tend to be very self-conscious in any interaction which you know is not a specific funny story mm-hmm. um, and okay, I so- apologize for that yeah. So instead of trying to subtly lead you toward the story I want you to tell, I'm just going to tell you which story I want you to tell. Okay. Um, there was a time when you were doing some sort of publicity thing, like a, I don't know, podcast, some sort of event in support of your um, uh, subject with objects book. And you decided to be clever and do a, Right. Night Vale thing. Right, right. Yeah. So this was there's a a bookstore in Nashville, um, in East Nashville that specializes I think all they sell are books by Nashville area authors. Um and during the 
I, during maybe the summer and fall months, they would do this series of um, having authors come and speak and they would pair them with a, a music artist who would do a, a concert there as well. And this was shortly after Subjects with Objects had had been released. And I hadn't, hadn't tried to do much in relation to that book in terms of speaking anywhere, because it's not, I mean, it's not a book that you can easily do a reading from. Right. So... I thought, and just to okay. clarify, this is a book. It's it's a book of paintings by um, Jonathan, Jonathan Richter, Richter that you wrote inscrutable captions for. Right, right. So it was it was a fun, quirky kind of project um, that you know manages even today to sometimes sell one, maybe even two copies per quarter. So <laughs> is that right? It almost it almost pays. Um, for the 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 fee on the checking account that we had oh. set up for the uh, <laughs> for that collaborative project, um, but yeah, I, I had been listening to the Welcome to Night Vale podcast. Um, this, this would have been several years ago, and you know, just thought that was a, a very innovative and and interesting kind of approach. So I thought I would do something like that because there was, there was a bit of that tone to the, to the project, the subjects with objects project. And so I, I wrote out, you know, this, this talk and stood up in front of the crowd and, and started to give it. And I just, people were not laughing it obviously was not connecting and people had no idea what I was trying to do, but I had nothing to fall back on. <laughs> so I got a couple minutes into it and I'm just, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm visibly physically shrinking <laughs> and withering. Um, and I just tried to power through it and it reached a point where I just, I just couldn't. Uh-huh. any longer because it was just too painful um, and I just needed to go hide in the shadows. So I just ended it like right in the middle of the thing. <laughs> didn't even get to any sort of payoff um, because it didn't matter to the audience because the payoff would, you yeah. know, they weren't tracking with me to get to the payoff anyway. Yeah. So I threw it over to the, to the artist, Jonathan Richter um, to talk about, you know, his approach to the paintings and, but there was nowhere for me to go (laughs) because this was an outdoor thing. And so all I could do was kind of step back and actually move behind Jonathan. So that (laughs) that there was a physical barrier between me and the audience. Um, And I kind of feel like there's this common theme in (laughs) across my life of awkward moments like that where I set out to do something that in my mind, I've worked it out. It's going to be, it's, it's, you know, it's going to go smoothly. And then I just bail right (laughs) in the middle of it because it becomes too much. It reminds me of being in college. Um, (laughs) There was, there was a girl that, 
um, there was this thing at the college I went to called find your roommate a date, which okay. I think it was mostly a freshman thing that, that freshmen were supposed to do where you would find your roommate a date and they would find you one and you would do a double date kind of thing. And, you know, I mean, very, very casual and lighthearted kind of thing. Like your whole wing would be yeah. doing this. So, um, <laughs> my photo um, that was in the freshman directory was probably like the best, most deceptive photo of me that was ever taken. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I actually looked kind of cool. Um, and probably like I was, you know, six, two or something. It sort of had implied that in the photo. Um, because of forced perspective. <laughs> you put very small objects. <laughs> you found a miniature horse and stood next to it. And so, you know, I got this call um, of this girl who's wanting to set me up with her roommate for find your roommate a date. Because yeah. um, she had just seen my photo in the directory. <laughs> and I guess... <laughs> had, uh, you know, higher expectations than she should have. And so we, we went out on that date. Um, I think it was to a bowling alley and there were probably, you know, it's probably a group of 12 people. So a few months later, I mean, we hadn't really had any contact, but there was some event <laughs> where I thought, um, well, I need a, I, I want a date for this. So I think I'll call that girl and, um, you know, see if she <laughs> wants to go. We'd had no contact in between. Um, and so I, I actually write out the script of what I'm going to say on the phone <laughs> when she answers. And so it's, I don't know, probably eight at night. And I call, the phone rings, 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 rings. I'm about to hang up. And then someone says, Hello? And I was like, hey, is, uh, can I talk to Linda? Yeah, this is her. Hey, Linda, um, this, this is Doug. Um, <laughs> um, and she's like, she's like, what? Wait, what? And it was obvious I had just woken her up. And it, it just went south so quickly that I just hung up the phone. And after I hung it up, I realized I already told her who I was. <laughs> it's like the worst crank call ever. <laughs> so, well, yeah, so I think I think there's this common thread of, um, you know, putting myself in a position where I just can't deliver in the way I had envisioned I was going to in Are my communication. And then I just, I freeze and I, I run. <laughs> <laughs> Do you say this? Are you suggesting this happens a lot? Cause this, that's not the impression I get just from interacting with you. Uh, it, it has happened a number of times. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a pattern. If I look back it, across my life, it's a pattern. <laughs> the, the idea of you hiding behind Jonathan Richter reminds me of a story you told me one time about um, uh, <laughs> some trouble you got into involving a, um, 
you were doing some radio DJing. Right, right, in high school. Yeah, and right yeah. now head. So I grew up in Longview, Texas, and um, one of my best friends, David, and I had made a pitch to the local Top 40 radio station, um, which was the second most popular station there right after the big country station, um, that we would do a, a Christian rock radio show, you know, like for an hour on Sunday afternoons. And uh, for, for whatever reason, um, maybe in punishment for some secret sin that they had committed, they uh, accepted and they allowed us to do this. Um, so it was the week before the, the show was going to launch, and they had two locations, one in Kilgore, one in Longview. And they were broadcasting from, at the time, from the one in Longview mm-hmm. one afternoon. So they said um, that we could come in and practice on the equipment at the main hub in Kilgore. So we're there, you know, learning how to use their turntable systems and which switches to flip to turn the mic on and off and to Mm -hmm. fade, you know, one turntable audio into the next one. And, um, and we can hear their live feed some of the time. So we're hearing the, the commercials they're playing and, um, you know, we were, we were, cutting up and lampooning the commercials that they were playing and hearing. And, um, and after a few minutes, one of the, the DJs who was at the, that station doing some, some production work, I think in the back, he comes bursting in to the, to the control booth and he says, you guys need to leave right now. <laughs> um, you've been going out live over the air. You, you flip the switch that put you live, and um, everyone's been hearing you, like you know, making fun of <laughs> of the sponsors. <laughs> and the general manager of the station is furious. <laughs> and so this is a week before our show even is supposed to launch, and it was just this surreal horror. You know, Dave and I, we grabbed our stuff real quick. We ran out to the car, just drove home in a stupor. <laughs> and we, we couldn't even talk to each other. We would just shake our heads and occasionally look at each other and just, th- there were no words. <laughs> we drove to Dave's house. We, um, you know, walked through the living room, didn't say anything to his parents, <laughs> just went into his bedroom um, closed the door, locked it, and both of us hid behind the headboard of his bed between the wall and the headboard. That was like how utterly shamed and humiliated and just aghast we were. And we couldn't process what had just happened. Um, And we were certain that the whole venture was over, you know, that we weren't even going to get to do this show now. Um, but, that is the funniest thing to be thought of y'all hiding behind a headboard as if that's going to somehow. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just a, a childlike um, <laughs> grasping for comfort of some sort, you know? <laughs> a safe place. <laughs> uh, 
but um, we we did uh, we did land a feature in the Longview paper a oh, few yeah? days after that, um, and that pacified the station manager somewhat to, to get that kind of publicity, and so the show did happen. Uh, oh, it did. That wasn't yeah. the end of your career. It was not. Okay. You mentioned uh, Christian rock and roll. Uh, did you happen to be a Steve Taylor fan? That's what's called a leading question. <laughs> yeah, I was I was a Steve Taylor fan from like the first day his "I Want to Be a Clone" EP showed up mm-hmm. at the New Life Bible Bookstore. Yeah, in Longview, Texas, and I snapped that up. And, um, yeah, I wore the the print off of that cassette tape. Um, I played it so much over the next year and a half or so. And I I saw Steve perform a number of times. Um, one of them was at the Cornerstone Festival in Illinois during the summer. And I was right up front at the center stage this outdoor festival. And so I got some good photos of Steve as he was performing. Um, I think that was the show where he jumped off the stage spontaneously and broke his leg or his foot. Oh, really? Yeah. So he finished the set um, hopping around on one foot Wow. for the rest of it. But um, yeah, so, so maybe this is you know, a sad story for Steve Taylor as, as well as for me, if we can. It's about to get really sad for you, so, so <laughs> proceed. Well, so I wanted, um, I, I, was a, I was kind of a Steve Taylor super fan, and I, you know, wanted to reach out to one of my heroes and, and become friends and, and let him know that I was pretty zany too. Um, <laughs> So I wrote a letter to Steve Taylor, a gushing adolescent fan letter, and I took one of those photos of him, and I, I cut him out of the photo and, you know, cut the, this figure of Steve Taylor at the, at the shoulders and elbows and hips and knees and glued those to popsicle sticks and then, like, used brads and and created this um steve taylor puppet as it were (laughs) (laughs) um and enclosed that in the in the letter um again to 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 let him you know my letter was going to stand out for sure for for on the zaniness index it was Mm -hmm. it was going to be you know 8.6 8.6 at least. Yeah. And um, you two are two peas in a pod. You yeah, and oh, yeah. And he just needed to know that. Yeah. And then there was no response. Mm-hmm. Um, and months went by and years went by and I forgot about it. And um, I graduated from college. I ended up moving to Nashville, became a songwriter. Um, Went to church with Steve Taylor, um, you know, mm-hmm. had had various interactions with him um, 
did some songwriting with some of his artists at, at mm-hmm. Squint Records and um and decades went by and then my friend Nick who was he was my college roommate um but he ended up becoming Steve Taylor's manager uh-huh. um proper management and one day he told me hey so um you know, back in the day when, when Steve was doing a lot of touring and, and making a lot of records, he was getting so much fan mail, he didn't have time to go through any of it, but he yeah. didn't throw it out. He just, like, in his attic had all these big, you know, bags of, of fan mail. Um, and he said he uh, just recently started going through those. And um, he told me he came across a fan letter from you, so this was like it was a it was a self inflicted spring loaded humiliation (laughs) right set to set to detonate like 30 years after the fact (laughs) once once i actually knew the guy right and might have might have even achieved some modest level of respect mm-hmm. in his eyes mm-hmm. and then that that house of cards came tumbling down <laughs> and he was gracious enough never to mention it directly to me i think because the content was probably just yeah but obviously he mentioned it to nick right yes he did mention it to nick so yeah so yeah he <laughs> he saw nick- the humor value in the <laughs> the humiliation so of did it. Nick know Nick knew there was a puppet in there? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think that came yeah, that that came up when Steve was telling him about it. So <laughs> Oh man. That's such a Nashville story. Um you know, country comes to town and um you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh I, man. I wrote some I wrote some fan letters to other artists that I was a big fan of. Um, <laughs> so one of them was uh, Terry Taylor, Daniel Amos. Okay. Um, super creative band, um, you know, just brilliant songwriting. And um, again, I, I wrote a letter um, I think that one was particularly embarrassing because I, I had the radio show and there, and labels would send me like free albums and things. But, um, Wait, I, can, let me slow you down for just a minute. You just told me a story about making a finger puppet right. for Steve Taylor. And now you're talking about a different story saying now this one's really embarrassing. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, my brain might explode. So, I, so I write this long, like way too long handwritten fan letter to Daniel Amos, but I have the gall within that context and the lack of social finesse that I'm asking them for free stuff at some point in it. And, and it, I'm sure it was baldly obvious to them, you know, <laughs> that the four pages of humor that preceded 
the request um, did not actually hide. Yeah. You know, the, the, the nature of, of the letter. And so then um, a few years later, I go to college and one year I'm the concerts chairman for the university. And so I bring in a couple bands from Southern California that I was a fan of um, and become friends with some of those guys. And so they invite me and my roommate, Nick to, to, come out to LA and hang out with them. So that next summer we, we go there for a couple of weeks and um, they were friends with Terry Taylor. And uh, I mean, you know, it's kind of a, a close knit bunch of, of a lot of the, the Southern California Christian new wave sort of mm-hmm. bands. Um, and so we, we take a trip to the racetracks <laughs> And, and Terry joins us. And so it's like the first time I meet him in person. Mm-hmm. And like, I think we were, we were sitting a couple seats apart. And so I meet him there. We shake hands. He hears my name. And then he just kind of stares at me. <laughs> and it's like, I can see that there are these wheels turning in his head that it's like, and he's like, you're, you're, Familiar. Your name sounds familiar for some reason. Oh, no. And at that point, I remember yeah. that letter that I had written, you know, when I was in high school. And, um, you know, I just, I played it cool. Just like, hmm, no, I don't think we've ever, <laughs> ever met. <laughs> There's been some other so, Doug McKelvey from Longview, Texas. But, yeah, from his expression, I, I thought, okay, they – they probably really talked about that letter and yeah, your and name was kind of a made lot fun of it. And my name, yeah, my name was, was dragged through the mud <laughs> some there. And did you learn? And maybe he was this? just being gracious in not actually coming out and saying, you are <laughs> that man. <laughs> Do you still write fan letters? Uh, no, I don't. I, I learned my lesson. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had a, uh, just a couple of nights ago, met a, a young man and said, Hey, I used to read your books when I was little and um, I sent you a fan letter. And I thought, Oh no, he's, you know, he's probably going to say you never, you know, acknowledged it. But apparently I did write him back and drew a picture of an alligator for him. So nice. So uh, I, you know, I hate to brag, but unlike Steve Taylor, I read my letters and respond in a timely manner. So uh, I, a couple of days ago, I thought of um, an incident that, that might be funny for the humiliating aspect of it, that actually you were, you were a part of the, of part one of it. Um, So you remember a a few years ago, maybe, I don't know, maybe four years ago when several of the authors at rabbit room, press were invited to do some speaking things at this awards show uh-huh, for, yeah. for um, Christian fiction writing, uh-huh. I guess it's their, their big award show. Yeah. And, and so all of us, you know, we're, we're given different, well, actually at, at that point they had me read um, 
a prayer for a liturgy for fiction writers from uh-huh. from every moment holy, um, which made sense, and it seemed like the things they had us doing kind of made made sense in context at this award show. Um, so, and we didn't get paid for it. At least I didn't. Oh, I, I did. Maybe, <laughs> I went on vacation. <laughs> I thought maybe the rabbit room had been paid for it, and it kind of went through that, which was which was fine. Um, the next year, they contacted me personally, mm-hmm. and they said, "Hey, will you come and do, uh, you know, some some readings at the awards show?" and um, and Rebecca Reynolds, um, you know, I, I suggested that, that they have her come mm-hmm. and cause they needed kind of two part thing. And so, um, so they brought, brought her into town and, and so we did that. And, you know, it, I think it was like, might've been CS Lewis readings then or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and they, they actually did pay that time. So then the next year, they invited me to come and speak again. And this time it was it was just me. It had gone from like six or seven rabbit room authors the first year to now it's just me. Um, and so I I do these I do these readings, and then I start to realize when the, when they introduce me. Um, and they're just kind of like, you know, this is Doug McKelvey. He, um, he's, uh, associated with, with rabbit room and, um, you know, he's, he's going to do these readings for us or whatever. And then interacting with the people like at the, you know, they, they seated Lisa and I, my wife and I at, at one of the head tables with some (laughs) of the main people who are there. And it started to dawn on me, they actually have no idea who I am. And they don't even know I'm an author. (laughs) They think I'm like this professional presenter, like reader. And, And it was just so funny because... And they didn't pay me for that one, which was... <laughs> no, they didn't think you were a professional, apparently. <laughs> right. um, so it was just this bizarre, again, kind of just kind of a surreal thing of, I don't, I don't know why I'm here. Yeah. I don't know why they keep inviting me to do this, but somehow they've just gotten it into their heads that I'm the guy, I'm the professional <laughs> reader. It. And I'm not, I'm not that good at, you know, I'm pretty average yeah. at just, you know reading yeah. <laughs> reading from a from a, a script you know some c.s lewis quotes and <laughs> while they have a slideshow going behind me or whatever i i did more than one uh you know author visited a school where i'd show up and you know and i'd say i'm here from the author visitor like um okay <laughs> you know I mean, it's like they didn't uh, i mean if somebody in somewhere in the building knew that i was coming yeah, yeah, but it, it certainly uh, they hadn't warned very many people that I was coming. You know, yeah, it's, it's a little, little bit of that. So, what am I doing here exactly? Right, right. So I had decided I'm not I'm not going to do it this next year if they invite me. 
Or, but I but I am going to ask him. Uh, well, would I get paid this time? <laughs> <laughs> but then COVID happened, so there was no. Well, maybe maybe you'll get asked no next year. Show. We can see how it goes. <laughs> um, uh, I had let's see. I'm trying to think how how this even worked out. There was somebody who would who. Um, I think they invited me to come speak. I'm sure. I'm sure you remember how this worked because I seemed like you lorded it over me a little bit. They invited me to speak, then they uninvited me and invited you instead. You remember remember this? Well, my experience of it was just that you know someone contacted me and invited that's me to speak point. at this place. That's, I didn't. That's a I good didn't point. Know you the didn't realize that I'd gotten uninvited. <laughs> They they told me something like it didn't work out, and the next thing I know, you're going out. <laughs> you're going out there. <laughs> well, it ended up just being an online uh, conference and talk, oh, okay. so you didn't uh, miss a trip to LA. I, I was picturing you, you know, putting on your sunglasses and and uh, going out to LA and and probably hanging out with uh, that taylor person uh, that you'd written a long letter to and and actually the honorarium because it was just online only ended up being about a third of whatever they might have told you it was going to be so you know <laughs> okay <laughs> you didn't miss a lot financially either so doug there's one more story i want you to tell that it's not exactly you know in the vein of of professional humiliations um it's it's more about you causing chagrin to other people um mm-hmm. and that is um about the time you found the, the, your, a professor's pictures in a uh, trash can or something. The table is set. Right, right. Set story. Yeah. I, uh, even before the internet was a thing and, and trolling was a term, um, apparently, I, apparently I had been trolling all my life um, just because I, I find a lot of hilarity in miscommunication and the potential for miscommunication within complex systems of human (laughs) interaction Um, and would was always ready to do my part (laughs) to further such miscommunications so this one was just purely opportunistic Um, I was in college and I think I was just exploring the labyrinth of of hallways and mazes, you know, a couple floors below ground in, in the library building at the university. And, um, it, I think it was right outside where the, the yearbook staff was housed and where they did their work. And there was this big gray plastic trash can on wheels out in the hall and it was full. And as I walked by on the top, I saw these like contact sheets of photos of a particular professor who I didn't know. I mean, I think I, I you know, recognized him and yeah. knew what department he was in. Um, <laughs> and, and they were, you know, they weren't good photos. They were pretty awkward looking and, and some of them were blurry and, so, but I fished those out of the trash because I just thought, okay, there's there's something to be done with these. Um, took them back to my room and confirmed, you know, in the directory who that professor was, Doctor So and So. I'll just call him Doctor Lumry for the sake of of having the name because I don't remember now. Um, so I hand wrote a note 
I, I, I looked in the directory. I picked another professor at random from a completely different department. <laughs> um, so let's say that's Dr. Atkins. Um, and so I, I hand wrote this note that said, um, you know, dear Dr. Atkins, um, wondering if you could let me know which one of these photos you think is best of me. You know, signed Dr. Dr. Thomas Lumley. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I put it in an envelope, addressed it, uh, put it in the inner university mail, um, and have have ever since then been amused just by imagining what might have unfolded from that. Because, you know, first you have, I mean, definitely we know that Dr. Atkins would have received yeah. this, <laughs> would have opened it and just would have so puzzled over why this other professor in a different department who you know, he's, he would know who he was, but likely they weren't friends, yeah, you know, right. just, you know, they had probably shaken hands at some dinners and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and he would just be mystified as to why in the world would Dr. Lumry want my opinion on this? But I mean, he's asked me, I need to give him some kind of a response. So, so I imagine Dr. Atkins, you know, just writing a straightforward response of, of uh, Dr. Lumrey here, you know, I, I think this one is the best photo of you. And ma mailing that back to Dr. Lumrey, who then out of the blue <laughs> receives this letter from daughter, Dr. Atkins, who has taken it upon himself for no apparent reason to let Dr. Lumrey know which of the photos of him Dr. Atkins thinks is best. So there's, you know, I, I have no idea what actually transpired there, but, but I, I do um, actually more often than, than you would think. I, I think about that incident and, <laughs> and laugh at what might've happened. So. Oh man, me too. I, think about it every now and then. Um, well, Doug McKelvey, it's been a delight. Thank you for sharing your humiliations for the edification and amusement of the listeners to the Havoc podcast. Anytime. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Special thanks as well to Taylor Linhart for letting us use her song Diamonds as the theme music for season three of The Habit Podcast. You can learn more about Taylor and follow her work at taylorlinhart.com. The Habit membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.